Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Rana McBerto Willis Host. Thank you so kindly for being part of the show. We're going to have a great show for you today. Let's, let's give Michael Rudnan a big hand. I am getting my second COVID vaccine right now. Quick share. See you tomorrow. Hey, at least he did that thing. He's getting that second vaccine. And guess what else? He did his quick share. Can I ask every one of you that are on, do a quick share. Do a quick share. That's how we change the world. That is how we change the world. Courtney, Courtney, the SLP, welcome aboard. Greetings, Julie, she says. Bridge MCP, one of our leaders of the PDR Posse, welcome aboard. Paul Fleming, ATL, checking in. Paul, how are things? Give us a, an update. Thank you so kindly. Uh, we want to, we, we, remember we're family, give us an update. Uh, let's see who else we got here. Uh, Courtney, I think I got Courtney and Julie Vanasdell. Anyway, we're going to have a great show for you today. Those of you in the chat, if you're, if you're in the chat but haven't said anything, just say hi so that I can give you a good old shout out, shout out. Uh, Michael Fleming, Paul Fleming says, make sure to take Tylenol so you won't have the flu-like symptoms. That is very true. After I took the second shot, I had, it, it felt like I had the flu. I kind of worked through it as best as I could and eventually... I simply went to bed because, uh, you know, the, the whole body was in pain. I had a, I think I had a slight fever, but I didn't go take my temperature. But I tell you one thing, after it was all over, you felt like a new person. Not only did you feel like a new person, you felt like you dodged one. In other words, we got vaccines, but we didn't get it. So if you're out there, folks, please, 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 please disregard the, the no-vaxxers or uh, the anti-vaxxers. Disregard the right wing who will who thinks they can benefit from your pain, who think that they can benefit by cratering the economy once more if we can get a whole lot of people sick. Let's think humanity first. Let's think people first. Let's make sure to take care of everybody. Not only not just the ones we like, everybody, absolutamente todos. Vamos a garantizar la vida de todos si tomamos la vacuna. All right. Let's get busy. What is the show going to be about today? I have a very interesting guest. You guys know I'm a humanist, but I like to listen to all sides. And not only that, I've been, I've been perplexed, I've been disappointed that the Christian faith, many, a large faction of the Christian faith, just has not done, that faction has not done their job. In fact, that, that faction has been a large purveyor of evil. And I don't say that by mincing my words. I mean they are, in fact, evil. That they can do what they've done makes them evil. Luckily, that's just one sect. And today we speak to somebody who has a whole lot to say, and we'll, we'll talk to her in a little bit. Uh, so uh, the title of the show today is Go It Alone. Justice Revival founder Alison McKinney, Tim Redefines current faith, but we're going to start with somewhere that I wanted to take us yesterday, and it had to do with um, why a lot of people we have Michael Rudnan out there taking his vaccine, and we want to give him his kudos for taking the vaccine. Everyone needs to be taking their vaccines, right? Yeah, but if you want to know the hesitancy with certain communities about the vaccine, take a listen to this Johnson and Johnson story here. It has to do with talcum powder, but check out how they tested talcum powder 
and then we'll take it on the other side. Because what this shows, what this shows, is that people having hesitancy for a a, a a vaccine doesn't come out of nowhere, and it takes people like us to say this one is not the same. It's not the same as what occurred with the Tuskegee uh, uh, the Tuskegee Airmen. It's not the same with what occurred with Johnson Johnson and talcum powder. Check this out, and we'll take it on the other side. The origins of this, and uh, I'm not asking you a legal question, but are we talking about negligence here from Johnson & Johnson or resistance to, you know, being more consumer-friendly once they knew of the, of the problem? So the history here, uh, Andrea, is the history of the company Johnson & Johnson itself. You know, baby powder is really the, one of the original products that, w that founded Johnson & Johnson. They began selling it back in 1894. Um, and it became clear into the 1950s um, the, the documents that have come out of this litigation that the company started to realize in the 50s and 60s that they had a real problem, that there was asbestos in their baby powder. Um, test after test after test from the company shows that they knew that there was asbestos in there. In fact, they became so worried, they hired a, um, uh, a dermatologist at the University of Pennsylvania to inject in asbestos into 11 black prisoners at a prison there to see what would happen to the asbestos in these prisoners. Um, and, you know, in one of these sort of infamous trials that, that really hasn't gotten nearly as much attention as it should, um, but the company then, uh, as 1968 unfolded, a, a, there was a real moment in the company's history where its founder, General Robert Wood Johnson died, the, it became clear that asbestos was a true danger. And the company really had to make a choice at that point. Does it save this iconic product that Johnson, that General Johnson thought was the most important for Johnson & Johnson, or does it live by this credo that Johnson and that General Johnson had written about being ethical? And they really made the decision to keep the baby powder, keep it as talc. Uh, they owned a lot of talc mines themselves. They had enormous investments in talc. Inside the company, people were saying, well, let's just make this cornstarch. Because as you know, generic baby powder is made of cornstarch for the very reason that talc can be dangerous. The company decided to stick with talc. And, and that, as a result, it is now facing one of the largest onslaughts of lawsuits in American history. At least 20,000 lawsuits have been filed making these claims. We spend now, a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form. If you take a listen to what he had to say, when they wanted to decide if talc was dangerous or not, they injected it into 11 black men in prison. Test cases. Uh, no different than the syphilis experiment in uh, the Tuskegee inner, uh, the Tuskegee Airmen. And in, in several other instances where these drug companies have done things like this. So if you wonder what is the reason why there are, in fact, people who worry about these vaccines and how they were tested or whether some, of, some people are guinea pigs, 
these are the reasons why, and this does not, this does not, uh, this is not far-fetched, the idea. This is what actually happens. This is what actually happened. Anyhow, folks, um, there's another uh, video that I want to show you, but what I'll do is I'll show that video after we do our interview. What I want to do is bring on uh, the, in the interviewee first, and then we'll take it after that, because we have a lot to talk about, a lot to talk about with whether the GOP should go it alone, but I want to get Allison on first, and then we'll move it to the next item. So take a look at this and enjoy. Welcome to another edition of Politics and Radamick. Berto Will is your host. Thank you so kindly for being with us. We have a great guest today. As you know, uh, Christianity has gotten a bad name throughout uh, over the last several years. And I think it's because we don't get enough of the people who are really doing important work to move this country forward in the forefront. Alison McKinney-Tim is a human rights lawyer, scholar, and faith leader with two decades of experience defending the dignity and rights of those on the margins in the United States and globally. Her work promoting justice and equality has spanned the uh, nonprofit, private, and academic sectors. After founding Justice Revival in 2017, Allison was named one of the 10 faith leaders to watch by the Center of American Progress for American Progress the following year. Her writing has appeared in Sojourners, California Lawyer, The Independent, USA Today, Yale Divinity, Scholars Reflection Magazine, and many other places. Welcome to Politics Done Right, Alison. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Egberto. It's great to be with you, and thanks for having me. Well, look, I, let me tell you, we need to have you, and we need to have a lot more of you, especially in these times. Uh, let me first say that what has occurred over the last several years has made and if, if, if you if you've noticed one religion ha, has really been on the decline not because religion is a bad thing though i'm not religious i think it's a good thing i i grew up in the christian faith but it has gotten a very very bad name over the years tell us a little bit about yourself first of all and then tell us what you intend to do about changing that well, I grew up also in the church. Um, I've been a part of the church uh, since I was five years old. I'm actually from Texas originally. Really? Where I know you're based. I'm from the Dallas area, but I have a lot of family there in Kingwood, as a matter of fact. Wow. And it was my cousin in Houston who shared her faith with me after uh, we had a loss in our family. And faith has been central to my life. And it is my faith journey that's the reason why I became a human rights defender. Um, I don't think I would have ever turned from the private sector to public interest except for an understanding of faith that is rooted in love and that encompasses justice. And for me and for the justice revival community, that means human rights as a vital expression of justice. We have heard a lot from Christian nationalists, especially in the last four years. I want to bless and pray for my co-religionists, but I want to say truthfully in love that that is not what the gospel leads us to. The gospel leads us to affirm the immeasurable dignity, worth, and equal value of all human life 
And the way we do that is by respecting and defending human rights. Excellent. For the audience, I want to first say that yours truly, they've always known me to be a very progressive humanist. I've always let them know as well that my wife is a deacon. So we are sort of a multi-religion here. She is religious. I am not. But what I wanted to do in having, and I've been bringing some other uh, uh, people from faith onto the program because it is important that we understand that we're all different. We all share different cultures, different religions, etc. But in a country like the United States, the intent is that we all coexist and not be tolerant, but understand that differences are important. And differences is what make things great, what make things, you know, things that you can go about. And I, and I wanted to have you on so that you can point out that the fallacy of what's been shown out here over the last several years is just that. I didn't grow as a, I grew up a Christian. I didn't grow up that in, in a manner that, that what Christians are doing here in America today, not your sect, but other sects are doing in America, uh, what I find very damaging. So tell me, how are we going to get those like yourself out there to really promote the things that I learned as a youth and the things that you know in your upbringing? Well, one of the ways we're working towards that goal at Justice Revival, toward a broader shared understanding of how the Christian gospel leads us to equality, justice, and human rights, is we've developed a flagship program of Christian human rights education, or we could call it religiously literate human rights education. This program, so far as we know, is the first of its kind in the United States. I've been teaching at churches along with my colleagues the last four years to talk in depth about what human rights are, how they developed historically, how Christian values of respect for each human being, uh, being made in the image of God from our perspective, how that directly supports a claim that all people have the same universal inviolable human rights. So we want to deepen understanding at the intersection of Christian faith and human rights. And by doing that, hopefully retrieve and lift up what we understand to be a very faithful interpretation of Christian scripture and tradition. Now, um, we are, we are, of course, taking a very Christian point of view. As you are moving along and, and ensuring that everybody's values are maintained or, or uplifted, how do you handle when you are working with other religions? Uh, in other words, promoting goodness, but not necessarily tell them, telling them that you must be of my faith. Absolutely. And we work um, extensively with secular and interfaith partners. And that's part of the purpose here. We want to build bridges among human rights activists that are Christian, that are interfaith, that are secular. So Justice Revival, for instance, we are part of the broad ERA coalition that has 200, I believe, member organizations. And we have sort of spearheaded an interfaith caucus within that coalition. We developed an interfaith statement of support for the ERA, which was released publicly in February. 
And very recently, for instance, I was hosted uh, for a webinar program similar to this by my friends at Religions for Peace USA. They're an interfaith coalition uh, led by a Sikh leader. Um, his name is Taranjit Butalia, Dr. Taranjit Butalia. And now he and I are partners, for instance, and I have loved partnering with him, with my Muslim, Jewish, um, and other faith leaders from different traditions. I think that is so important, especially in this climate where we're trying to marginalize the other. You've actually tried to include the other. I love uh, on your website where you talk about the theory of change. Tell me about the theory of change. You sort of expanded on that a little bit, but kind of bring that out a bit more for me, the theory of change. Oh, thanks for asking. I don't get that question very often. But um, as you saw on our website, the focal problem justice revival was actually created to address is what we've already been discussing, the way we see Christianity misused to oppose human rights in this country rather than to uphold them. And we want to flip that. And so we're going after the root causes of that problem. Um, one is just the fact that often uh, faith leaders doing justice work, um, and there are many doing amazing work that we admire and respect, they're not typically doing it from the perspective of human rights specialization, which is my background as a human rights lawyer, and that's uh, the perspective and vantage point of justice revival. So we want to bring something unique to the broader coalition work. And we want to, as I explained before, deepen the intersection of Christianity and human rights. But we also want to advocate in a way that will serve as a counterweight to some of the anti-equality, anti-justice, uh, religious messaging that's out there. And that's why we've stepped forward to spearhead faith support for the Equal Rights Amendment. That's why we're in coalition on many other issues like the right to seek asylum, like abolishing the death penalty, like ending the excessive use of, of lethal force, the unjustified uh, murders of black people in the United States. Uh, I mean, uh, it's, it's interesting because you wrote a piece, good segue. If we are equal before God, we must be equal before the state. And as we all know, based on the criminal justice system, based on how police officers work with different people of different hues, that that isn't the case. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, that's our thesis in a nutshell. If we are equal before the God of creation and you'd be hard pressed to find a faith leader today that denies that. Now, historically, we know that was deeply contested, and there were a lot of longtime struggles to end chattel slavery and the outright subjugation of women, where there were theological contests over that very point. Are we all made in the image of God? Native people, people of African descent, women, gender non-conforming and queer friends. But today, there is, I think, a broad public consensus, at least, that no, when we come before the God who loves us, we come as children and who distinguishes or creates a hierarchy among their children. No, we're equal before God. And the important point that flows from that is that means we're all deserving of some basic level of decent treatment. 
And that's what human rights provide. So ensuring that we all have, and I'm going to even get provocative and say, we all have a right to life. Um, I'm being a little tongue in cheek because that shouldn't be provocative. It's a very well-established right under international human rights law. And central to that is that we deserve not to be summarily executed by the state or the nation where we reside or by any state or nation. So it's absolutely fundamental, I think, to look at the, um, the massive challenges of racial disparity in our policing and criminal system through a lens of human rights. And I want to just call my church neighbors to really think about that with us. Let's take, take that a step further. Why, and, and, and I don't know the answer to this, why is it uh, that it seems that religion, and, and you know, right now in America, it is a Christian religion, but I mean, it's religion of other types all over the world. Why is it that that is generally the transport device many a times to promote hate or subjugation? Mm. Yeah. And I don't have the answer. I'm, I'm asking, I, I am, I've asked that before and, and want to know why is it so often used as a transport? Yeah, that's a big question. And the place I want to go is a theological answer. Um, and from, again, a Christian theological perspective, the answer would be sin, that we fall short, that we battle as human beings with selfishness, with will to power, with a distorted view of, of ourselves and others and the world around us. And um, again, from my faith perspective, what's really needed is to repent of that racism, of that white supremacy, of male supremacy and misogyny, What's needed is to have the courage to look honestly at the truth of our history and to say, no, so often humanity has gone in the wrong direction. And when we create hierarchies, when we exclude or shut others out, when we care more about our own perspective than other people's basic rights, then we've gone astray. And it's time to admit that. You know, if a place like the Center for American Progress names you one of the 10, uh, 10 top faith leaders of the country, that, that says a lot. And, and based on what you're saying here, uh, I can actually see why. Now, um, you, you know, I always thought about um, you're in the same religion as far as these, same, these other folks. How did you come to a different conclusion? What in, your, what in your growth process? I mean, especially given that you told me you're from... Dallas, one of the centers of where a lot of this Christian hate emanates, what made you different? What within your, what within your, uh, I mean, sect made you that different from where a lot of this started? Well, my whole journey, I've just felt and experienced God's grace but I did grow up um, in, in the Dallas area and then in North Florida, Florida, North Florida, Jacksonville is my hometown. So areas where you might say broadly, there's far less consciousness 
let's just be charitable, far less consciousness about racism, sexism, homophobia than perhaps in other parts of the country. But I had the, um, the gift of education um, and the chance to move away from where I was from for graduate school. Although I don't want to pin too much on geography because we know there's also a lot of diversity down south. Absolutely. My, my uncle who lives in Dallas, Fort Worth, he's a socialist straight out and an intellectual. Um, and so we can't, you know, draw too broad of conclusions. You know, actually, that's a very that's a very important statement that you just made there. And I I, I wasn't trying to imply that I was just trying to say Dallas is where and, and the reason I, I want to self correct, if you will, is that one of the things that I've always told people is that the fallacy is that the South is so much different than the North, when the reality is that uh, some of the worst bus and riots occurred in Massachusetts, that's kind of way up North, uh, if you will. So I, I want I want folks uh, not to mix mix up the issues, and that that's what I I, I I think I need to self-correct there in the way I asked the question. So thank you for actually pointing that out. I think that is very important. Um, Fair enough. And just to kind of round out that that answer that I was sharing with you, there is also a lot of diversity within the Christian church, many different streams of Christian tradition, and a lot of great teachers that I've benefited from um, at, at Yale Divinity School, where I had the opportunity to study uh, Richard Rohr at the Center for Action and Contemplation is a very influential teacher for me. And so there are others for us to learn from as we uh, seek to understand what is there in Christian faith that um, upholds and commends human rights to us. There's a lot. Well, look, Alison, um, we are coming close to our time here. Most importantly, I want people to uh, check out your site, justicerevival.org, justicerevival.org. Um, I always ask a very difficult question at the end of all of my interviews, and this one specifically is the same one. What would you have liked me to ask you that I simply didn't? Great question. So you might have asked me, um, why do we all need to support the Equal Rights Amendment uh, in the United States? And I want to say briefly, it is a basic human rights reform, long overdue, a necessary corrective to a constitution from which women were intentionally excluded and under which women and gender minorities still do not enjoy fully equal citizenship stature. It is the most basic elemental reform we could make. We're one of only 18 constitutions around the world that lacks that sort of explicit protection uh, for women and gender minorities. So I wanna um, just leave with that and encourage everyone to support the ERA. I think that is so important. And look, it's been my pleasure. Alison McKinney, Tim. Uh, founder of Justice Revival. It's been my pleasure to have you on Politics Done Right. Folks, please go out to the website. Please promote the website. Please promote uh, promote these folk that come out here and are really doing a lot for society that too often, because it's not the bing bang or whatever, doesn't get the national news as it should. Thank you so kindly for being a part of Politics Done Right. My pleasure. Thank you, Egberto. 
Okay, folks, I hope you enjoyed that. I sure enjoyed uh, that interview. Um, I think uh, her organ the organization that she founded, I think, needs to get a whole lot of traction because for, for, all, for every single one of the religious folks that are pushing that sort of a hate, I think it is important that we get folks like her. Because, look, the fact of the matter, whether you're religious or not, you're going to have relatives that are Christians, relatives that are Muslims, relatives that are whatever religion. Uh, having people like her make sure that, you know, these, all of us should be living in harmony after all. We kind of like, want the same things, right? Okay, we're right at the half hour, so it's now time for me to do my ask. If you're on uh, YouTube, please go ahead and click that join button and become a member. If you become a member during this live show, I'll post you on the screen. If you become a member during the live show, I'll definitely post you on the screen. Please go ahead and click, uh, again, the join button on YouTube. Alternatively, if you don't see that or if you're on uh, Facebook Live or Twitch Live or Periscope, go to politicsdoneright.com YouTube. I've placed that link inside of the feed, politicsdoneright.com YouTube. We need about 1,000 YouTube members. We're slowly creeping up. We finally got to, I think it's 270. But join the PDR Posse. I didn't call it the PDR Posse, but it is a PDR Posse. So join our PDR Posse by clicking that join button or going to politicsandright.com slash YouTube. You can also get our PDR Posse cup, actually a mug, designed by Bridge MCP. And I'm placing that on the screen right now. We have a whole lot of you that have already gotten the cup. Thank you so kindly, Bridge, like I say every day for uh, having the guts to put this all together. Of course, we went ahead and made sure it happened. Thank you so kindly. Uh, Patreon, you can support us on Patreon. How is Patreon spelled? P-A-T-R-E-O-N, politicsonright.com slash Patreon. Politicsonright.com slash Patreon, spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. We need you. We need 1,000 people on Patreon, 1,000 people on YouTube. I think at YouTube we're at about 270 now, if I recall. And on Patreon, we're just at about 130. So um, we need a whole lot. We have a lot of growing to do so that we can get our producer and all these other things that's really needed to assist here. The 16 hours killing me. You can also support us at PayPal, politicsandright.com slash PayPal. A lot of you that are listening right now are great supporters. I thank you so kindly. Politicsandright.com slash PayPal. You can shop at our store where you can get all our, our good products. Politicsandright.com slash store. You can, you, can also, you can either go to politicsandright.store or you can get, go, go to the rack on YouTube and get our products from YouTube as well. And, of course, if you want to get our books, and these three books, please get them. And, by the way, I have two books to ship as as, as soon as they come in. Two books to ship as soon as they come in. And uh, what we'll do is we'll go ahead and ship those out as soon as they're in. But you can find all our books at politicsandright.com slash books. Politicsandright.com slash books. So, as Bridge just showed on the screen, we have 20.7 thousand subscribers. Members, we only have 270. That is less than 1%. So I, I, that's 1%? Yeah, less than 1%. Can we get it up to 10%? I think we could. You could help us do that. Hell, if you do that, we can have quite a few more people working to produce a whole lot more videos and have more penetration in the progressive field to make sure that this message really gets out. Anyhow. Let's move on. There's a video that I want to show you, folks. There's a video that I want to show you. You know, every time we hear uh, 
folks on the right talk, they talk about the left a lot, right? Uh, or they, they think we want to take over their businesses. We, we want too much regulation. We want all these things. Of course, regulations are there to make things better for us all. But they don't think that. They think we want to take over something. But what I think it's important for people to know, very important, is it is amazing. It is amazing that when they're making money and when things are going perfectly so, corporations don't want government involvement. But they claim they can run more efficiently than anything else. But it's not the truth. The truth is, when they, when they are running things, they run things with little protection, maximal profit. That's what they do. And that's the reason why we can have all these cyber attacks. I promise you folks, I am a software guy. I write software. Hell, I wrote some software for the space station as well. And every time I listen to these stories about network break-ins and all that kind of stuff and phishing, um, I always think back of the trade-off business has made for profits over security. Because security is not all that difficult. Let's start with the security number one. If my, if I am, my network is not on the internet, you can't get to it. In other words, if you can't get people on the outside in Russia coming into my system, if my system does not have the avenue to let them in. I can, I can name you item after item from a security standpoint that proves these things, right? But they don't want you telling them anything. I want you to listen to the story of the last break-in, and then, then I'll kind of expand on it on the other side. This isn't our meat supply. This isn't our, our gas, you know. But it is yet another company showing, you know, as an example, how pervasive these ransomware attacks actually are. You know, Hallie, you and I could stay on air all day talking about this because for every Colonial and JBS that we hear about, there are hundreds of these that are happening around the country. Small businesses, hospitals, municipalities, education systems that are being shut down, completely disrupted, and this is having a significant impact on operations. We hear about Colonial and JBS because it shut down operations and impacts people's lives. And this is really a national security issue. It is so pervasive, so widespread. And when you look at it in the aggregate, it is a significant threat to all that we do here in the United States. It's got to be addressed. And absent uh, government intervention, the disruption of the people that are doing this, there are human beings that are doing this, this will go on indefinitely because the return on their investment is substantial. The adversaries are making hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars and it is just too difficult now and too widespread. Companies have to be taking action along with government intervention. And that's, you know, I, I, they talk about government intervention, right? What they want the government to do is the following. Allow us to work as inefficient as possible and by us, by private sec the private sector working inefficiently, they can maximize their profits. And what they then want the government to do is to have the heavy hand on the governments where these thugs that are taking advantage of a weak infrastructure, they want us to take advantage of them there so that they don't come over here. So we work, of a, we, we, we don't want to pay taxes, 
to create a, a, a secure system or we don't want to pay taxes for a government to mandate certain security things that they, they understand will, is necessary to keep us secure. They don't want to pay those taxes. They want maximal profits and they want to give the government permission to clobber any country who, from, when, from whence these attacks come. And of course, some of them come from right here in the United States. They want somebody else to pay for that. They don't say it that way. They, they just say, oh, it's a national security issue. Well, it's only a national security issue because we have the private sector doing things that the, that the public sector, if you think it's a national security issue, should be taken care of. Norman Reynolds says, the security issue will be a heavy lift that companies will ask eventually for welfare to fix their security exposure. Exacto mundo, señor Norman. That is exactly right. And that is what people don't understand. You know, when they, they come out and say, hey, look at what happened to Colonial Pipeline. Why didn't the government prevent that from happening? Look at what happened to JBG. Uh, why did the government take care of that? Well, number one, you don't want to pay the taxes for the government to take care of it. And number two, you don't want to put in the restrictions that the government is going to say this is how you protect yourself because it's going to in, in, impinge on your profitability because you ought to do things quite a bit better. Let's, let's give a good example here, right? Um. When, uh, the, when the system is working perfectly, a computer system, and then you reach a point of failure, right? Even, even Microsoft built this into Windows for a while. There, there, there are ways to go back to a, a, a particular state, right? So if you're, if you're working in a critical section in computer data acquisition programming, etc., and by the way, what usually is, what these people go after is the data because the code how can you, the code is always some, you can have the code in a repository and it never really changes in an instant in time, but they, the, the data is dynamic, right? You can have all these stop points, right? And you, you, there are all these things that you can put within the code to make our system more secure, but it costs money. And it also, and, and, and it means, by the way, it means you have to have high price people who maintain these kinds of systems. You don't buy it from Microsoft or buy it from Amazon or buy it from one of these guys and then hope that because it is secure, it will take care of itself. It means you have to invest in security as something that is dynamic because it is. And it doesn't mean paying your employees less. It means the profiteers given that they're sitting on their butts at their pools making money off of the labor of everybody else, will get less as they protect their own interests. Because when that fails, when the computer system fails because of a hack, they then run to the government for, as Norman says, corporate welfare. Again, we always have to look at things not the way you hear it advertised on TV. I just played that piece on TV where you had the expert talking about what the government needs to do now. The expert needed to add to that, that mo look, first of all, if something is of national security, it does not belong in the private sector where there are a whole lot of different participants doing things. Let's, let's look at pipelines. If you determine that pipelines 
are critical to this country. It's the heartbeat of this country. I'm not saying it is. I'm saying if you determine that, then it does not belong in the private sector where you have a whole lot of operators. Now, you could say we have a whole lot of regulations, very tight regulations that the private sector has to abide by. And at that point, the private sector may just say that's too much, too expensive to follow these guidelines. We pass. But again, the government doesn't have to make a profit. So they could run pipelines and they could run quite a few. They should run pipelines. They should run electricity. They should run a hus, a hospitals, medicine, etc. And leave building cars and leave making iPhones and telephones that are not used in the in the corporate in the government space for national security put that at the hands of the private sector but if you say something is of national security interest then the national uh, it should be public and we should all be investing in taking care of it but again it's a different thought process and it means at that point we have to be logical we have to get around the lies that are being told by the Powell, that, that were instilled to, in us by the Powell memo, and move on from there. AVQ says, pipeline shut down funding from the gas. Pipeline Corporation decided it was better to stop production than give everyone free gas for a week. Back from getting vaccinated. Second one, watching on my back home. Feeling good, no side effects, symptoms yet. Very good. But here's the thing. AVQ said something that I had not thought about before. The only reason, and that's, well, let me back up. It all depends, right? It all depends what they have controlled with the software. The, a lot of this software controls gates, valves, etc. So if they thought that got infiltrated, they did the right thing by shutting the pipeline down. If all was affected was billing, then your point is well taken. If the billing structure is affected, we can't give free gas, so we'll just let everybody suffer, then that would be not so cool. Uh, the security issue will be a heavy lift for companies. Okay, uh, I, I think I read that one already. Let me go back to the top now. Uh, let's see. Uh, Wendy Green, welcome aboard. She says, so religious people are greater sinners since religion is the transporter of such so much hate? I don't know what to pack in that statement, but let me tell you how I interpret that statement. I interpret that, first of all, I don't think religious people are any more sinners than non-religious people. Uh, however, I can tell you one thing. Most of the people that I've found that, that have done most good in, in my circles have not been the religious one. That is not to say uh, that to say that religious are bigger sinners is just my circle. Now that said, the issue with religion and, and hate is that the ones that get exposed on TV and elsewhere, they are a huge transporter of hate. If you take a look at you know, of, of the types of controls they want to do, what they want, how they want women, I mean, the, the whole thing is a good transporter of hate. That is the reason why we had... Uh, the guest that we had on today because she turns that on its head. Alison McKinney, Tim turns it on its head. She showed that being religious has nothing to do with the evil that emanates from a whole lot of those folks in Dallas and a lot of all those folks in Virginia, West Virginia and all these other places where the moral majority abounded. All right, let's see uh, what we have here. From what I read, AVQC, it was only the billing affected 
We'll double check for tomorrow. Great. If it's a billing that was the only thing affected, that just proves everything that we've said about capitalism. Everything that we've said. Everything ahead of humanity. Absolutely everything ahead of humanity. Okay. Other subject today was this, this piece that I read. Uh, it's something that we've all been talking about for a long time now. And it's something that I think we have to start getting serious about. GOP isn't going to meet us halfway. Top progressive presses Biden to cut off infrastructure talks with Republicans. I don't know if you guys remember Obamacare. They strung that thing out. And by the way, Obamacare, though, did have a lot of Democrats, uh, senators that should be at fault. But they drugged that thing out for such a long time. A long time. And in the process, we lost Senator Kennedy, which brought us below the veto-proof majority, which meant we had to split the bill and pass some of it via reconciliation. And the parts that were passed with the 60 votes, that part of the bill was okayed. I mean, it was a mess because we dilly-dally. Now, let me tell you what's my fear. My, I have several fears about... Uh, the, the tenuous, this tenuous Senate that we have right now. We have Manchin, who is a step away from jumping to being a Republican because of his state. His governor has already done that. So I think he just may be uh, wanting to show his power now, else he may do what he's, it's, it, his best interest to do, jump ship. The second one, cinema, I just don't understand cinema. Cinema is in a blue state now. And I can't understand why cinema would give any kind of trouble to get rid of the filibuster. But those two are just the ones that overtly talk about it. But the senator from, uh, se- the senator from San Francisco, not San- yeah, from California, I forgot her name right now, she has, been, has not been a proponent of changing the filibuster either. You wonder... What is, what are these people thinking of uh, other than what we've always said and that there's really an establishment? And yesterday you hear the, the uh, chair of the Democratic Party here in Harris County. She was kind of hesitant about using the word establishment because she really know what it means. Establishment doesn't only mean the establishment Democrats. We mean the coalition between the establishment Democrats and the establishment Republicans. That is the only reason to have a filibuster. To keep a certain percentage of policies that satisfy the establishment at the at cost of everybody else. That is why we need to get rid of the filibuster. But anyhow, the story says as follows. As President Joe Biden prepared to continue talks with the Senate GOP's lead infrastructure negotiator on Wednesday, progressive Democrats in Congress implored the White House to stop wasting precious time wrangling with a party that has repeatedly shown it its uninterest in pursuing an adequate legislative package. And let me tell you another part about this. We need policies passed now that can be effected by the end of this year so that as we get into 2022, Americans start to see that government, guess what? Government by and for the people really, really works if we decide to make it work. It's that simple. And the only way we can make it work 
is to kill the filibuster. The filibuster is a clear and present danger to democracy. The filibuster is a clear and present danger to, to prevent autocracy. And I know everybody's been talking about autocracy and is it real or not, folks? We are already a partial autocracy. Yes, the filibuster has created a partial autocracy. It's, not, it's, 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 one, it's a civil one. But if we lose our democracy as we are in the process of losing based on what those in Texas and Florida and Georgia have done, we may not even be able to have politics done right. Because at that point, anybody who tries to wise people up to what's really happening, their cards will be clipped, if not just thrown in jail. You know, you may come here and, and as I'm on the air... The autocrats come and start taking me off the air, taking me to jail for saying the truth. You know, I, I'm not, I'm, by the way, folks, I'm not kidding at all. I really am not kidding. So anyhow, we need to drop the filibuster. It's time to go big, bold, and fast on an infrastructure plan that repairs bridges and roads, but also guarantees paid leave and child care says Representante Pramila Jayapal, Democrat of Washington, Chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. The GOP isn't going to meet us halfway. It's time to go alone and get this done. Last week, a group of Republican senators unveiled the outlines of an infrastructure proposal that called for just $257 billion in spending. Are these guys crazy? Yes, they are. All right, Tom C. says, Trump is telling people that he thinks he will be reinstated as president in August since Hillary Clinton lost by the same electoral college margin. Shouldn't she be reinstated first? Just asking. The difference is that Donald Trump lost the popular vote on each ballot. So, nah. Uh, Bridge MCP says, Egberto uh, Willis, that video I sent to you address uh, what the people need to do. It's pretty. It's pretty good. Uh, how long is it, Bridge? Do I have time to show it right now? Uh, so tired of hearing about Hillary. <laughs> okay, let's see, what, um, let's see what else. We have E2247 says, Humans used to talk on where is the food and how best do we avoid predators. Now humans mostly gossip on who is lying, screwing, stealing, hating. The Bible is a whole lot of gossip, unfortunately. And I'm really a church boy, but I'm saying we got to stop gossiping and get back to policies and issues and talk that matters. That's what we try to do here. Eight minutes. Uh, I'll take a look at it today, Bridge. And if I can, uh, barring any copyright stuff, I'll play it tomorrow. Good, good. Is that a good thing? All right. So let's see what else we got here. What else we got here? What other items that I missed? You know, I like to make sure everybody's covered. Want to make sure. Tom C. says, What about separation of church and state? Why do churches insist on mandating morality, which has nothing to do with ensuring the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? I don't know. Wow. Iran ship sank. Yep. Uh, they said they had a fire on it. You know, they won't admit that Israel blew it out of the water, likely. That wouldn't surprise me. I think. Let me tell you my conspiracy theory with that ship sinking. Folks, this is conspiracy theory that I'm putting out there. 
It is conspiracy. Notice I'm admitting that I'm putting out a conspiracy theory, folks. I don't do this, but this is the first thing that crossed my mind. There's a big fire in Iran today at an oil refinery. Iran was quick to say it was an accident. One of their biggest warships was on fire for over 24 hours and sunk. They said it was an accident. Um, do you think Netanyahu, Prime Minister of Israel, is trying to mess with Israel? Um, it's trying to mess with Iran. So that Iran would come out there and say, oh, the, the Zionists did this and did that and did no God knows what. With the purpose of uh, getting the people so scared in Israel that they forego the change of government that we're having right now, which was just signed a few hours ago, where Netanyahu will be no longer in power in uh, likely on Wednesday. We'll see. Anyway, Eric Hayes says, not sure about that, it, I, I, Egberto, as Iran usually blows up their own stuff. Yeah, probably so. Like I said, it was a conspiracy theory of my making, and I didn't want anybody to take it as truth, because it's not. I don't know if it, it is. Uh, that is exactly what I thought, Israel. You know, I bridge you, so we think alike, bridge, we think alike. E2247, time for us to bail on Israel. No, we, no, no, no. Let me tell you. Time for us to work with Israel and Palestine to create a working solution. Um, there are too many good people in Israel trying to do good. Really. I know a lot of them. So I am not anti-Israel. I'm pro-Israel and pro-Palestine. I really, really am pro-Israel and pro-Palestine. I think it is very important. We all have to remember all the great things that Jewish uh, black coalition that did during the civil rights, not because you have a few evil doers in any group, does that mean we should somehow tag that group. I love them both, and I meant, mean that from the depths of my heart. All right, Tom C., what's the mess in Texas? Yes, it is a mess. New voter suppression laws would allow a judge to throw out Democratic elections just on suspicion of fraud. Really? Really. Uh, Norman Reynolds says, autocracy conspiracies each ask to say. I don't know if this is true, but I like it. Dangerous stuff. Yes, you're right. So, folks, remember what you heard me say about that sinking ship and that refinery on fire? No proof. Zero zilch. Eric Hayes, nope. Peace is the only way. Yeah, I agree. We always want peace. Bridge MCP, autocracy is in that video to Egberto Willis, LOL, great. I'm glad that you brought that, Bridge. Anyhow, folks, we're getting at the end of the show, and I want to do my last ask, unless somebody puts something else that I need to talk about. Please, if you are in YouTube, please click on the Join button. If you're not in YouTube, please click on politicsandright.com slash YouTube, politicsandright.com slash YouTube, to become a part of the PDR Posse. Alternatively, you can go ahead and become a part of our patron by going to politicsandright.com slash patron, politicsandright.com slash patron, or become a supporter via PayPal, politicsandright.com slash PayPal, politicsandright.com slash PayPal. And don't forget to get our books at politicsandright.com slash books. I'm on my fifth book, folks. I'll let you know what it's about soon because 
I've started three more, but I haven't decided which one I'm going to work on first. Folks, thank you so kindly for being here. I know you guys can be anywhere, but the fact that you're here, I am honored. Um, please, keep loving the heart. Don't let anybody change you. Don't let anybody put that touch of hate in your body. Somehow it's always easier to hate than to love, even though love feels a lot better. Remember that. The blood pressure rises. You're miserable. There's nothing good about hate. Nothing good about hate. There are a lot of people I don't like. I don't hate them. I don't like them and I just don't hang around them. But hate? It's not worth it. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this baby? I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.